Good evening, America. Welcome to Water Break. I hope you enjoyed last week's show that was filmed in Waterloo, live and live from Waterloo. It was a lot of fun. I can't tell you how encouraging it was to go to the Church at War conference and fellowship with everybody. Those brothers and sisters up there uh, are a good people, and God is really blessing their efforts. It was. It, I mean, I felt I felt at home immediately. It you know it was it was just wonderful, and I look forward to how God uses Pastor Jacob Ray Ohm, James Coates, Pastor Tim Stevens, Pastor Steve Richards, and and all those brothers and more. I can't even mention all the guys there. Uh, that were involved in the conference, but very encouraging. You know, it had about 650, 700 people at that conference, which is a mega conference in Canada. And um, God's using them. It was, uh, the fellowship was was great. I mean, it felt like my people there. So um, be praying for them. They got, they got a, a lot of uh, things to sort through and moving forward, how to fight moving forward, how to engage and how to kind of change Canada, change culture in the future. So be, be praying for them. And Folks, I also want you to know that during Christmas, we have a great offer going on for either those who upgrade their account to gold or premium. I know, bump it up, bump it up. Or new subscribers who join the goal at gold or premium levels. The next 75 club members who join at those levels will get a high quality, I'm pretty excited about this, uh, Kodiak. It's a beefy, um, you know, one of those uh, tall, beefy metal uh, Kodiak water bottles with the cross politic engraved on it. Really cool. And also moving forward, all our gold and platinum club members will automatically be subscribed to our fight, laugh, feast magazine. So if you already have that, that magazine subscription, you're already a gold or, or platinum uh, club member, just, just email us to forward your other subscription on to, to, you know, Russell Moore, or Joe Biden, or, you know, Kanye West or Elon Musk, whatever. Also, lastly, all our club members who can now log into fightlifefeast.com and enjoy getting to know one another. We actually built a little kind of social media experience for our club members to network with each other and, um, you know, kind of have the luxury of doing without big tech censorship or all the junk you can get in social media. So log in, kick the tires around, post some family pictures, and let's build a community of those who like to fight, laugh, and feast. Today, today, that's right, Sunday night, December 4th. Today we have a couple members from the Water Break team taking, talking on the, the kind of the political ramifications of of celebrating Christmas. So grab your best scotch or your best Evan Williams eggnog or Dr Pepper, and enjoy the show. But first, Dime Payments is a Christian-owned processing business. Every business needs a payment processing system, so please go to dimepayments.com and put in forward slash FLF just so they know you came through them. And and if you don't put in forward slash FLF, tell them anyways that we sent you and sign up your business. Working with them supports us. They won't cancel you like Stripe canceled President Trump. True story. They won't cancel you like MailChimp canceled Babylon B. Also a true story. Um, check them out. At least have a phone call and tell them that CrossPolitik sent you. I think you even get a little uh, slight discount on the percentage um, when you work with them and mention our name. So, Cannonball or Belly Flop? Advent is here. And as you celebrate Advent with your family, I want you to remember two things. Um, we don't tend to think about Advent in, in these directions. Uh, maybe maybe the first one, maybe we think a little bit about Advent in this direction. But the second one, I think, is a little more unique. Um, but first, God is using the foolish things of this world to turn it upside down. God sent his son as a baby, and that baby became the savior of, a, of the world. What a, what a silly 
thing. What a foolish thing. Hannah asked for a son. And and the world thinks that was foolish, especially on how they abort children, how they think about kids now these days. Solomon asked for wisdom. And, you know, the world thinks, what a waste of a wish. Abraham asked for a son, and God gave him descendants like the stars in the sky. Gave him more children. What a foolish thing. God chooses to use the things, the foolish things of this world that the world thinks are worthless to change the course of this world forever, to change the course of this, of this world in a way that we would never even think of or imagine. This is the same thing when it comes to celebrations. Often we wonder, do our celebrations accomplish anything? What's the point? Well, the point is that God works through the means he's given us and he gives us the playbook. He says, you know, have kids. That's part of his playbook. He says to seek first the kingdom and, and don't worry and, and everything else will follow. That's his playbook. And he, and he adds, you know, Ecclesiastes 9, 7, go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. That's God's playbook. Go, go drink. And so that's a command. That's a, that go is a command. And he says to worship him every Sunday. And in running God's playbook, he changes you, your family, your city, and beyond. And all these things look like the foolishness of the world. You know, foolishness uh, to the world, excuse me. Now, secondly, number two, dose. Celebration is a form of spiritual warfare. We have talked a lot about over the years, you know, Um, how to fight culture and engage culture and, you know, be strategic and feasible, find ways to engage culture that are strategic and feasible. And then we've added to that analysis through the whole COVID thing, you know, find a post that you can fight from. If you need to kind of do a strategic retreat, whatever you're doing, find a post that you can fight, fight from. And that, that post would include a city with a solid church, you know, educational institutions and, you know, an economic freedom to build for the next generation. Uh, That's all important. But now part of the encouragement behind this is as we learn from our, our, our show with Yuri Bezmanov, this was really helpful. If you, if you didn't um, catch that show this week, I believe it was uh, uh, maybe, maybe Tuesday of this past week. But um, uh, Yuri said that you need about 20 years to touch three generations. So think about this. If you're 40 years old, which I'm, I'm 43 uh, my my friends are having kids. Their kids are almost grown up. They're twenty. You know, some of them are twenty. Some of them are in college, and their kids are fixing to get married and have babies. That's three generations right there. You know, three generations in twenty years. And and so, think about that. What you build now can actually influence and affect three generations. And of course, you're, if you get to live longer, you can affect more generations. So build your community structures that will last for generations before you know. It, I mean, the impact that you could have in your lifetime, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, as God gives you a long life, it will impact multiple generations. But one of the things we need to emphasize in all this is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need to celebrate like, like kings and queens because the king of the world has died for this world. We need to celebrate like victorious kings and queens because our king is the savior of the world. He's conquered us. And saved us from our sins. And there's not one square inch that his kingdom will leave untouched. Not one square inch. So our responsibility, so our response to all of this should be joy and gladness. That bubbles over into celebration. 
But don't miss what God is doing in your celebration. I think it, sometimes we look at celebration as just, just for us and our fun and our pleasure. But God is actually doing something in your celebration. Celebration is one of the acts that sets us apart from the world. Celebrations like the Passover in the Old Testament or, or like the Lord's Supper in the New Testament are means of God distinguishing his people from the world. Celebration is a declaration that we are God's people and that we are holy and set apart from this world and that we are here for his kingdom and not for the world's. Celebration means that we're no longer slaves. Think about this. We're sons and daughters of the king. This is the whole point of Sabbath keeping. Who works seven days a week? Well, well, slaves do. Slaves work seven days a week. Slaves have to work every day. Who gets to rest? Who gets to enjoy the benefits of God's world? Well, princes and princesses get to rest. God has made you a free people. And he says, go, you know, uh, work six days and rest on the seventh. Uh, that means we aren't slaves. That means we're sons and daughters of the king. So celebrate Advent like your sins are forgiven. Like the Savior has come in the flesh. Like God has intervened in this world and changed this world forever. Because he has. And oftentimes we don't look at celebration as something that, that is setting us apart, apart from the world. But that's what celebration is doing. And it's, it's creating a culture that our kids will grow up and remember forever. It's the, the Advent season is one of the most um, treasured seasons in, in my family. And that's because, it, but it's amazing as you learn to celebrate it over time, how the kids grow up and to enjoy that culture. And they learn that the joy of the Lord is their strength through that. So I want to bring in uh, the water break team. And today I have, you know, Pastor Rhett Burns and comedian John Brandon joining us uh, for for this Advent. Welcome, guys, to the show. Good to be here. Great to be here. It's always always hey. good to see you, John. Mm-hmm. I know it is. <laughs> so, uh, Rhett, I'm going to bring you in here first. You know, um, it, it's fun kind of growing as a family. Um, my kids are 12, 10, and 8 years old. Um, so we, you know, uh, Advent and how we celebrate it when they were 3, 4, 5, and 6 is very different than how you celebrate it when they're 8, you know, 10 and 12. And then it's going to be very different when they're 16, 18, and 20 and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but what I've noticed over, over the years is is that this has just been such a great time of building culture. And, and But I think oftentimes families don't, don't realize that when you're doing little things like this, there's actually a political ramification out into the world of what God's doing. So when you celebrate, you know, when you eat at the dinner table every night, there's a political ramification there. When you um, uh, enjoy your family, there's just all these basic small things that we, we don't understand that actually impact the world in, in little ways. But I think God is particularly doing that during Advent in a way because we're, you know, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. We're celebrating the the incarnation of, of the Lord. You know, how are, how do you think about Christmas season? How do you think about the impact that, that Christmas season has on your family? And then secondly, what does that mean and how you celebrate uh, and what does that mean to the world? 
Sure. I mean, I think in some ways, uh, Christmas season and maybe a few other times of the year, Easter comes to mind as well, is a time where we kind of turn up the volume on what we ought to be doing the rest of the year. And so, you know, we have weekly celebrations built into our calendar with the Lord's Day. We celebrate the Lord's Day and we want to uh, turn up the volume on that, turn up the intensity just a little bit during the Christmas season. Our our whole culture does that. And I think that speaks Mm -hmm. to the uh, the potency, even though we live in a culture that has uh, in many ways forgotten or uh, trying to suppress what the true meaning of Christmas is, the potency of it is it still has that kind of celebratory power in uh, in our culture that everybody still uh, takes the month of December and they're still making their fudge and they're still putting up lights mm-hmm. and, and we're celebrating. But we want to do that in our family all year round. But during this time, it's just another opportunity to do it even more so. And what it has the effect of doing, I think as you think of the the ramifications of what we're doing around the dinner table, the ramifications of the songs that we're singing and the mm. gifts that we're exchanging and the and, and the special things that we might do uh, during Advent and, and during uh, the Christmas season, uh, the ramifications of that is it's. You know, celebration is assuming the center. Yeah. Celebration is That's true because it's not being reactionary to the to the other things that are going on in our culture. It is um, assuming the center. This is a a Christian uh, season. This is a Christian time, and we are celebrating it as such. And what that has the effect of it it has this gravitational pull, I believe, because people are drawn to celebrations and they're drawn to the potency of the gospel. Um, and so I think by our celebrations, we are not uh, just reacting to the things that we see out there in the culture, but we are producing something, and it has that kind of gravitational pull to it. Yeah, and John, um, you're you're in a different stage than me in Rhett's life. You're the you're the elder among us, the wise, I'm old. gray-haired man. Super old, you guys. <laughs> you got gray hair. You got uh, you got grandchildren. How many grandchildren do you have? Nine. Nine, Nine grandchildren. Wow. Well, congrats. Rhett, where, where are your kids at? How old are your kids, Rhett? I deserve a little more respect than you were about to give me, don't I? <laughs> You've changed everything just in this moment with me. Our relationship has forever changed. He's going to call an audible. <laughs> Rhett, where are your kids at? What, what stage are your kids at, Rhett? We have them. We have four kids. They are 10, 8, 6, and 3. Okay. So we got young ones. Yeah. So, John, how, I mean, like, how, how is your Christmas, you know, um, celebrations kind of morphed over the years, especially now as you kind of get into grand, grandfather mode, granddad mode? Well, one of the things that struck me a couple of years ago is just how few years you actually are celebrating traditions. Um, now that I am a grandfather, I look back at Christmases that I participated in when I was a kid. And and it feels like when you're in it, it feels like, well, this is what Christmas is. But when you look back at it, after you have a few years under your belt, you realize the number of Christmases that you have as a child are are few, you know, five, six years, maybe it's not decades that you spend as a, as a wide eyed child, you know, um, looking, looking at the tree and all of that, those things, those things pass really quickly. And then it becomes your responsibility to establish those traditions for the children and the grandchildren. And so I'm looking at it now and I've got nine grandkids and they are, at that wide-eyed stage where 
you know, the tree and the lights and, and decorating and eggnog and all of that stuff is is very much a part of our Christmas traditions. Mm-hmm. But in a few years, um, they're not going to be children anymore. And there's going to be a whole new, as you said, generation of kids that are needing to have traditions established for them. Um, and as we have a culture that is less and less inclined to have parents mm-hmm. and old people establish authority over them, we've got a prevailing youth culture that's coming up and saying, hey, you know what? We decide what's best for us. We decide if we're boys or girls and mm-hmm. so on. And so the establishment of Christmas traditions by the elders in the family is very counterculture right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really struck me. I don't know if you guys listened to the, the cross Baltic show this last week. We, we included some clips from this, this Soviet defector. He was a journalist, Soviet defector, Yuri Bezmenov. And he was talking about what he called, I think like the, the Soviet, um, uh, playbook basically um there's a there's more more words to it but this part of the soviet playbook included um thinking in in terms of like 20 years uh because in 20 years like i mentioned in my talk and my uh, monologue 20 years you could impact three generations you can at least touch three generations so you can touch your 40 year old friends you can touch your uh 18 year old friends kids and then you can touch their, you know, as when they get married, they have kids and that's and their kids. So you got these three generations you can touch. Now, if you're 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, well, you can touch, you know, probably four, five, you know, generations, maybe six generations in that, in that kind of time frame here. So I've got to get my hands on the video there in that time frame. And that's, uh, we think that, man, it's, it's such a long road to change society, but if we can impact three generations in 20 years or touch three generations in 20 years, it's, it's amazing how God can work and, and change things very quickly. And, and I think that applies to our celebration. If, if, if the church is building a celebratory culture because we serve a victorious King, well, that, that as the world mutilates themselves, as the world um, kills their generations that they can't touch anymore because they killed them. Uh, in some sense, I, I keep going back to this in some sense. I, 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 God really does kind of make it easy for Christians to be faithful, and we complicate it, Rhett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you're talking there about 20 years, I, I think of an old Mark Dever quote that I heard years ago where he's talking to young pastors, and he was encouraging them. He, he said, young pastors can overestimate what they can do in five years. And so I think that brings to mind the fact that this is a long game uh, that we do need to play. But he said they underestimate what they can do in 25 years. And I think that goes to what you're talking about. That's true. We kind of apply yeah. that then yeah. to our families, apply that to our celebrations. Uh, you can build up a lot of compound interest uh, with what happens during celebrations what happens uh over these you know these three generations that you're talking about over the, the course of 20 years and the cultural fruit that that produces can be uh quite potent yeah that's really good um so with why why has the church not really kind of well actually let me ask the question this way we had pastor jeff ripple on the show yesterday and he's in his funny controversy in his town in Taylor, Texas, where um, he has a Christian, he's been running this non, 
nonprofit Christian parade in his town for like the last, I think, 10 years or something like that. So they have this nonprofit organization that basically organizes their Christmas parade every year. Been doing it for like 10 years. Well, it, it finally got controversial because they wouldn't, they won't let the, the lesbian drag um, boat in the parade this year. Um, they didn't want any gyrating. It's weird. And then so it got controversial. I mean, the Federalists picked it up. A number of news outlets have picked it up. And what's crazy there is he's had a number of churches distance themselves from the Christian parade because they don't want to be caught up in politics or they don't want to be controversial or they don't want to have to, um, you know, be divisive in their community or whatever. And, and so you have Christian churches, multiple churches has distanced themselves where they aren't even celebrating a public um, moment, a public way, celebrating in a public way Christmas in the community because now it's becoming divisive. And so Christians aren't, uh, don't understand or not getting the impact, the potency of what Advent means to their local community and they're backing away. And I, I, you know, I don't know if I really necessarily have a question there, but it seems to me that there's, there's a potency there that the Christians don't even want to participate anymore. And this is how far the church has gone in their inability to engage with the world. Any thoughts, John or, or Rhett? I said, what's going to happen there is either they're going to be overrun by worldliness uh, in various forms of uh, immoral sexuality. They're either going to be overrun in that way uh, or they're just going to kind of die out because the faithful are going to see that and they're not going to. That's right. Yeah, they're not going to want to be a part of that kind of church that doesn't have any kind of spine or backbone for what is going on culturally, particularly as it relates to just the ever evolving sexual revolution. And so uh, I think they're playing a loser's game uh, in one of two directions there. Mm. Yeah, it seems like, go ahead, John. Well, the idea of celebration um, in the church has been under assault for quite a while. And you've seen it, in uh, like Mother's Day is where it is where it started popping up. You have a celebration in the church of mothers, you know, Mother's Day sermons, and you give out flowers to the mothers, and you say, "Isn't it great that God gives us these wonderful mothers?" And then you have the other women in the church who, for one reason or another, are not mothers, and they are actually offended and stand up and and declare that this should not be because we you are you are ignoring you are d- diminishing the importance of us as uh, as single women or childless women within the church just by honoring mothers and so that that mindset and that mentality it, it makes sense that it's going to eventually spread out to all of the other holidays mm. and Now, if you've got a tradition, whatever that tradition is, that you celebrate at Advent, if you're leaving out somebody who feels like they should be included in that, it's always puzzled me why the people who don't like God want to be included in Christian celebrations. Um, The reason that they do is because it's it's about power. It's about Mm. power and it's about power recognition. And so the church has been um, kowtowing to that in the name of being tolerant and in the name of being kind. It's it's like it's unkind to acknowledge some women on Mother's Day um, for being women over 
over women who are not women. It's unkind and it's unloving. And the church has internalized that. It's a lie, but it's still been internalized and it's affecting everything else that we celebrate. That's, that's, that's good, John, on power and, and all that. Um, you know, Rhett in the South, uh, you know, 4th of July has always been a big holiday um, in the South. You know, I grew up in Texas and they have, uh, and it's such a big holiday where it's like coming to the church. <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's, it's, and, and even in some instances, it's like real idolatrous synchronization of celebrating 4th of July. So we kind of get some of these, you know, secular, I mean, I think you could argue that 4th of July is not a secular holiday in some sense, but you, you kind of get these non-church calendar holidays where we celebrate and then Advent where maybe we just keep it in our homes and in our houses. And even in Pastor Ripple's case, he's got churches distancing themselves from public celebrations of Christmas. And that's, that's, we're missing the potency in some sense, we're missing the potency of what God is doing and how the gospel spreads to a nation in the celebration of uh, particularly Advent. Yeah. So, um, I think what you're getting at there in some ways just goes to the kind of public, public, private, you know, distinction that, that people want to make. And I think, you know, we've reduced Christianity in, in so many ways, uh, to mm. what is private. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whereas 4th of July is a civic holiday, it makes sense that it's public. People have put religion, people have put Christianity, put faith in this kind of, you know, it, it belongs in your church and, and in your home. We see that uh, doctrinally with complementarianism, let's say. It, it, you know, it's it's only for the church and, and the home, not, you know, these gender distinctions uh, out in society. Um, it goes uh, so far where it, it it hurts our evangelism because we, we don't want to be public with that. And so I, I think it's just what we're, you're, we're seeing celebration wise then is just another outplaying of that where, where we need to remember that, that our lives are lived out in, uh, in community, in public and in Christianity, uh, especially in a place with a Christian heritage like this, I want to make a distinction. I know there are places in the world where uh, the gospel is not taken as deep a root and, you know, public Christianity there, uh, they're working towards it. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to put anything uh, burdens on them in those type of places. But here we, uh, we need to assume the center and we need to assume that with our celebrations uh, because our faith is a public faith. We need to declare it uh, in public. And so not to shrink back. From yep. it, and so I think that goes along. Yeah, you know, how that's played out with our say Advent celebrations is just another uh, way that that's played out. That same distinction people make, I think, uh, wrongly. John, do you have any news that we can trust this week? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, if not, then we can go on, man. No, I, I do. Oh. Got a couple of things. Right, right gets to right gets to join us just a little bit for news that John Brandy can trust. Um, you guys want to know that dude in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, who ran over all those people about a year ago in the Christmas parade? Yeah. Well, they sentenced that guy. Um, Ten days in community service. So now they sentenced him to 750 years of free housing, food, and clothing. In the, uh, <laughs> oh, no local institution wow um, and you can uh, i mean when you're a king like that you can live longer 
<laughs> well, it, that's that's what you get. That's what you get for for killing all those people. Wow, uh, four squares a day on the public dime. Um, you know, I've got I've got some stuff here about uh, about the Donald Trump thing that was that was kind of sort of thing that blew up. It doesn't have much to do with the advent, but uh, but you guys heard that Donald Trump had uh, had dinner at his house with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes. Yeah. And and Milo. So, Don't forget Milo was there. Well, I didn't I didn't forget Milo, yeah. but after after an intense internet search uh, to find out who Nick Fuentes was, everybody went crazy. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I took away from that is it's actually really good news that nobody had heard of Nick Fuentes before, right? I mean, that's reassuring that just being a uh, abominable racist isn't enough to make famous <laughs> i had to i had to google nick and figure out what the, all the hubbub was about nick and yeah. he just seems to me like a um a undiscipled shock jock who possibly like i'm not even convinced he believes everything that he believes he doesn't even come off like he's convinced that he believes everything he believes i don't know I, I, I have uh, I'm, I'm suspicious like I, you guys remember when the evangelical evangelicals were doing all sorts of gyrations and movements that if they weren't Baptist could have been called dancing when yeah when Kanye uh, came out as a Christian you remember when he declared that his Christianity and all the evangelicals were like hooray Kanye yep I was I was a little bit wary um, because I was taught that you're supposed to wait an hour before you go swimming after you eat, and you should wait at least a week after somebody declares their Christianity before you put them in a pulpit. Yep. Ooh. It turns out that all of my fears and suspicions uh, were erased when 60 seconds after he declared his Christianity, yeah. Kanye appeared on a platform with Joel Osteen and yep. confirmed confirmed that the spirit of god was moving through him and so well to be fair though on on when he was on joel at joel Osteen's church he actually preached on sin like that was i don't think joel Osteen's congregation ever heard anything about confessing sin yeah well i was going to say that it was the most doctrinally solid <laughs> message of the reach from that platform so <laughs> yeah, we gotta get, my point is that we've got I'm a little, I'm a little uh, uncertain about Donald Trump and Kanye West and Milo Yiannopoulos and Nick Fuentes becoming the faces of Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean yeah. that that to me just doesn't seem like a wise move because, well, a we're leaving out Alex Jones; he belongs <laughs> in there too. <laughs> if we're gonna, I mean, if this is gonna be, yeah. This would be the the uh, the high council of Christian nationalism. Then wow. let's put Alex in there too. And if not, then let's rethink it. Rhett, did you catch any of the uh, Kanye Alex Jones interview? I think I saw one thirty second clip, and I think, judging by what I read about it, I think that was enough. Yeah, I actually caught about the last I think thirty forty five minutes of it. Okay. And um Yeah. It it was I mean it was sad for sure. I think Kanye 
I have um, this is the best spin I can put on it is that Kanye when when you're a superstar you know millionaire um, you're in the you know you come out of the Kardashian family um, uh, you know you you know Kanye even admitted this he said in one of his interviews he said when you become a, a star at age 24 you stop maturing you stop growing and I think that's what happened to him and so you know he's 40 45 or whatever in that in, in, around my age and then so you stop maturing and then you have all the money in the world you have access to all the girls in the world. You have access to, you know, um, everyone serves you. Um, you stop maturing. And then you go through that process for 20 years. Substance abuse. You know, he's admitted to his alcoholism. Um, substance abuse and all that stuff. It really does. I think it really does mess you up in the brain. And the way you deal with it is you patch it up with medication, which is something that he's done over the years and his trainers have done and his doctors have done. They gave him medication stuff over the years. So I think, I think he really is, he stopped taking his medication. He stopped drinking. And, and I think he's coming off this, this medicated lascivious state for 20 years. I, I, I want to believe, I want to take his confession at face value. Um, so at face value, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the fruit is looking like. I don't. The fruit didn't look good on the interview uh, with Alex Jones. But one interview doesn't mean um, that your fruit's bad. It just means you're screwed up at least. And so you come out of this lascivious, medicated state, wh- whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's suppressants or whatever, and then you become a Christian, and then you stop taking all that. I think your your brain has a lot of processing that needs to be done. And it hasn't accurately processed things for 20 years. And so then you add to that, he becomes a Christian. Um, and every Christian and their, you know, dog want to get a hold of Kanye. So at some point, Joel Osteen get, gets Kanye's ear. At some point, you know, the black uh, owl, uh, what's his, um, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. So he's friends with Farrakhan now. Um, he's got his ear, and then now Nick Fuentes and Milo. Milo's a a rep, uh, a former homosexual Catholic now. <laughs> you know who knows what that where that's at. Um, Nick Fuentes, and so all these various ideologies um, and branches or brands or or um, you know mirages of the Christian faith have gotten his ear. And and end times dialogue. I mean, he's even bringing up some end time stuff in in the in the interview. And, and so I think you mush that all together in this in this guy, and I think you know he's not thinking clearly at minimum. So this is that's my best stab at at putting the good spin on it. Um, uh, but I you know it's, that's still not even a good spin. I mean I think uh, you know, um, and then I think you add that to his to his what's gone on in in his life. You know he really has been deplatformed from banks this last year. The IRS is now going after him. Um, Adidas, you know, all these contracts, his whole business world's falling apart and he's losing everything. Um, so I think you add all that to the mix and I'm not surprised that he doesn't trust anybody. And then, you know, come and then his, he's coming to the response like, okay, I, I either get angry or I be a shock jock. And then I 
cover up everything with saying that Jesus loves everybody, which is, you know, that's my take. That's my, that's my best <laughs> take on that whole situation. And I realize everything with Kanye is just kind of, you know, intensified. Uh, but this should be a good cautionary tale of when people come to faith or people profess faith, more willing he has come to genuine faith. Uh, they need a church and he needs, you know, Kanye yeah. needs a pastor and Kanye needs Community. a church and he yep. hasn't been in one. Now he said all sorts of people, like you said, people, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, now in the Christian world trying to get something from him in the same way that people, you know, throughout his uh, adult life have always been trying to get something from him and ride his coattail somewhere. And I can imagine, I mean, I, how that would wear on you. Um, but what, what Kanye needs is what we all need. We need a fellowship of, uh, of other right. believers who are following Christ together uh, because what we're seeing with his trajectory, uh, you know, when there is no discipleship, uh, when there is no leading, it can go off in some pretty crazy ways. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that, that I think that was one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, man, this guy just needs some grounding in a good community that he can learn to trust and a good pastor that can counsel him. Because all you do is you bounce from Joel Osteen to Farrakhan to Nick Fuentes, and no wonder you're going to be about, driven about by the waves and tossed to and fro. Um, if you're grounded, I mean, pick Wyoming, pick your community, stay in a community, find a good church, get grounded first, you know, and 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 especially as you're coming out of this transition of like this um, medicated, lascivious infested hollywood experience for 20 years as a superstar um man it i mean i couldn't imagine going through that process how, how screwed up would yeah. i be yeah can i apply that uh to some some people who might be watching here uh now you know kanye west isn't watching us but there there may be people who are watching that need that same admonition to get grounded in a yeah. local fellowship and and stop bound you know bouncing around from you know from one podcast to another and, and, and kind of celebrity christians um yeah. who they can find That's you right. know and, and watch their content uh you need to sit under a pastor you need to sit with fellow believers in the flesh and so if there's any of those who are watching who you know haven't really got grounded in, in the church, I would highly encourage you for that. Your your weird trajectories might not take you in the same way that Kanye West, uh, what's happened to him, but it will take you some weird places. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's why I'm grateful. I, I love my community here in Moscow. I love my, my pastor. Um, I mean, it's just, it's it, it really is such a grounding experience where you can learn to trust other people and, and they can speak into your life too because you trust them. You know, you you believe them, you understand them, you trust them, and and I just I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be Kanye. So I think part of it is is I have no problem um, looking at Kanye and saying, "Man, this is not looking good. This is bad." He said this. He said Hitler's great. All this stuff. Um, I have no problem uh, pointing those things out, but I also think that um, that you got to put when whenever I see you know C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity when he he was talking about what it meant to be a Christian and and that oftentimes people think well um, this old lady he and he gave the the, the uh, uh, metaphor analogy where he says if if you see a grumpy old lady um, and she claims to be a Christian and you see this this nice um, you know, man who who doesn't claim to be a Christian, but you can see him at a 
a outward appearance of, oh, wow, this guy's a lot nicer to hang around. I much prefer this guy. He's nicer and he's not a Christian versus this grumpy old lady who's very difficult to deal with. And she's a Christian and she genuinely is a Christian. And this man genuinely is not a Christian. He said, one of the things you need to take into account is, is who is God working with? You know, what, uh, what is, um, what was their starting point in life? And where they are at now, there's a there's a very material. We we don't. Uh, God has taken. Let's say this this grumpy old lady was a very bitter, um, old, uh, very very bitter woman who hated life, everything, and she's truly converted and still kind of working out the sanctification and the vestiges of her past sin. But she's truly converted. And then this guy, he's really nice. He just doesn't want God, doesn't need Jesus, and everything. Well, you you have to um, take to take into account. Um, the the, uh, the 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 presence of who that person has been over the years to be able to understand. Okay, yeah, God is really working in this old lady, and and she's on a great trajectory, fantastic trajectory, and it's the sanctification that's working in her life, and and, and she is sanctifying, and she's dying to her sin. But this guy who's nice, we we can't judge off just that that present moment and experience with those two people. We have to understand the material that God was working with um, from the beginning. So. There you go. I'm. I just wanted to throw in that to to our group, to our tribe of uh, of brothers and sisters. That one of the things that I think we should be just aware of is that we are so uh, vehemently opposed to cancel culture, as we should be. Um, that we could potentially build up a callus and get to the point where it's like, okay, nobody gets canceled. Yep. And that's not correct either. Mm-hmm. And there's always two things on each side of the road. And while we can, we can say that there are unholy forces trying to shut down the truth, that's always been the case. But there are also unholy forces that are not speaking. Mm-hmm. And we also have the responsibility to say to those people, whoever they are, even if they identify as one of us, to say, nope, what you're saying is not true. That's right. So you need to give me the microphone and sit down. And uh, I'm not saying that you are that you have to leave the group, and I'm not saying that you're going to hell, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that you're allowed to speak because you're not speaking the truth. That's right. That's right. And I, uh, Rhett and John, thank you for joining us. And I just, I just want to end here that um, – you know, God, we our standards are created from God's standards. I don't look at the world and watch them cancel Kanye or look at the world and watch them cancel Kyrie Irving. And, yeah, they're, maybe they aren't saying some right things or whatever, but God, we judge things by on God's terms, God's terminology, God's standards. And, and so don't be influenced by all this cancel culture stuff um, at, at all. Um, you know, I was talking to my uh, nephew last night. And when, when you get confronted by someone who thinks they know more about you, who thinks they know more about the Bible, who thinks they know more about the, um, uh, uh, the debate, whatever debates before you, um, you know, we don't need to be fearful that we're losing a debate. Um, we are anchored in God's word. And if maybe if we don't have an answer for everything, that's fine. Uh, but you know, tell, tell the debater, tell the world, tell the cancel culture, 
that, you know, I stand on God's word. And if I don't know everything that I need to know, I need to go read it, dig into it more, and then come back with a, with a, with a better answer. So, well, Rhett, John, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see you guys uh, hopefully next week. Uh, and until then, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength and, and, and joy to the world says that the Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. And so as you guys celebrate Advent, um, you know, keep that in mind. Remember that the celebration that you are doing not only impacts your family, but it spills out into the world. So go fight, laugh, and feast this Advent season. Lord bless. Armored Republic's mission is to equip free men with the tools of liberty to protect their God-given rights. With that goal in mind, we've created a new product identification framework to make the world of body armor easier to understand for both the new customer and the experienced professional alike. To help you quickly identify the right armor for your needs, we now have four categories of armor products, each named after the material used as the strike faces of that line. Our S-Series, A-Series, P-Series, and our C-Series. For example, our S-Series armor features products with a soft strike face, the functional surface of the armor that handles the initial impact from a projectile. All S-Series soft body armor products are made using ballistic fabrics, such as aramids like Kevlar. Soft armor is typically the only type of armor that's flexible. It's also the best choice for concealment under normal clothes. Hard armor plates with higher protection ratings capable of stopping rifle rounds are usually heavier and bulkier. If you're looking for increased protection above and beyond what soft armor offers, we have three series of hard armor inserts. A-series armor is made from our unique blends of metal alloys. Among these are the classic rifle-rated steel plates our company is known for, which have enabled hundreds of thousands of Americans to acquire high-quality armor at an affordable price. While often heavy, metal alloys exhibit many positive properties, including multi-hit capability, edge-to-edge protection, and the least back-face deformation, where the impact of a round causes the side closest to the wearer to bulge inwards. At Armor Republic, we are constantly working to innovate the alloy armor industry, developing new strategies to reduce the weight of metal alloy armor while retaining its excellent protective qualities. P-Series armor is constructed from polyethylene, or PE for short. These are lightweight plates consisting of many compressed layers of high-strength polymers capable of stopping bullets with minimal fragmentation risk. Light enough to float, P-Series armor is strong enough to stop all handgun rounds as well as many rifle rounds. However, they tend to be more expensive and can exhibit some of the most severe back-face deformation. The strike faces in our C-Series armor are made of ceramic, the hardest mid-weight material used in body armor construction. While monolithic ceramic armor cannot withstand multiple hits due to its brittle composition, it's the only armor material capable of stopping an armor-piercing 30 caliber round. Due to their rigid construction, all of our hard armor series A, P, and C plates also provide effective slash and stab protection from edged weapons. Not all body armor is equal. Each material has its own characteristics that are important to understand when selecting your life-saving equipment. Our new series names highlight the four materials that we use to produce body armor products here in our Phoenix, Arizona facility so that you can make a more informed decision about which type is best for your unique considerations. Within each series, our armor inserts will be numbered to indicate the relative performance characteristics of each plate inside that category. For example, our A1 plate is an entry-level alloy armor product, 
while our A2 plate is still alloy but with improved capabilities or features. When you shop online for body armor at armoredrepublic.com, you'll be able to use these new series names to intuitively sort through our many product offerings and locate the armor that best fits your needs. Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls of Christendom, he was greatly enraged, and he jeered. What are those fools doing? Can they restore all these ruins themselves? Will they sacrifice? Do they think they can finish in a day? Will they revive the charred and shattered stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And the priests of modern decay laughed, saying, If so much as a fox goes up on their wall, he will break down their city. So we built our walls, for the people had a mind to work. And in the ruins of the West, we laid our foundations. From that day on, half of us worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And those who carried burdens were trained to labor on the work with one hand, and hold a weapon to defend it with the other. And all had a sword strapped to their sides, and a tool in their hands. In the ruins, we live, even while we rebuild them. In the ruins, we marry and make love and raise children who raise the walls. In the ruins, we craft wine and raise sanctuaries and barns. In the ruins, we build and we film and we write and we read and we sing and we laugh and play rugby with pumpkins. In the ruins, we raise our hands with swords and shovels and bless the Lord, for the earth is His and all who dwell therein. And each day, by His grace, we are less ruined. Each day our walls and our loves and our songs grow taller. For the city is a living city, and we are living stones. <laughs>